Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Good morning, sons and daughters of God. So glad that you're here today. I want you to uh, open your Bible to Daniel chapter 3. When Paul was in college, he was preparing his life to be used of God in worship ministry, in music worship ministry. His degree is in music. And so while he was in college as pastor of the church, my dream was the day that Paul would be leading music on the platform and I would be doing the preaching. Well, it never happened until today. 30 years later, my dream has finally come true. And so, if you have a dream, don't give up on it. Who knows? Uh, But that God has something awesome uh, in your life as well. A British author of the uh, 19th century by the name of Rudyard Kipling, he's actually the guy who wrote The Jungle Book, also wrote a poem for his son. It was published in 1910. His son was 13 years old at that time. And he entitled the poem, If. And I want to read you just a little bit of it. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired of waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster, and treat those two imposters just the same. And it goes on. There's a lot of verses. But it ends like this to his son. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And what is more, you'll be a man, my son written to his 13-year-old son, who certainly uh, became a man and was quite a man in his own right. A lot of biblical theology in that poem. And I think that Rudyard Kipling captured what I would call the power of if. If is a word of uncertainty. We don't like uncertainty. We like certainty. We want to know what's going on. Um, Well, there are some things that are certain. 
Hebrews 9, 27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. That's two certain things. Number one, we're all going to die. That is a certainty. Number two is, we're all going to face judgment. If we're children of God, we are going to face Jesus and give account of this life in which we live. But this life is uncertain. And the word I want to use for it is, it's iffy. Life is iffy. In fact, this word, if, is found 1,595 times in the Bible. It saturates the pages of Scripture. And so because life is uncertain, the Bible tells us how to live life, how to live in this uncertain time before our death. What I want to do with that in mind is I want to consider three passages of Scripture this morning that magnify what I would call the power of if. The first is found here in the book of Daniel, and the first if speaks to our faith. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and it's with six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, this monstrous uh, statue uh, that he put up, which was made of gold, was something that uh, he wanted people to bow down and worship. Um, let me just give you a little bit of a little bit of background here. The Jewish people who had been so disobedient to God, God finally got tired of it, and he allowed them to be carried off into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, this Babylonian king. And he brought uh, thousands and thousands of them to uh, Persia, and there he did not arrest them or anything. He just turned them loose in society and said, make your own way. And they began to do that, and as a matter of fact, they were good citizens, and many of them ultimately became a part of Nebuchadnezzar's government. And uh, so he had set up this, this uh, golden image, and then he made this decree that when all of this music gets played, in verse 5 it says, In the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And if you don't fall down and worship, then you're going to be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, enter into this drama three Jewish young men by the name of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah better known to us as Shadrach, Meshach, and Tibet we go. Abednego. That was our children's name for it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Tibet we go. So, here was this business of bowing down. Well, these Jewish boys, 
they love God and they worship God. They didn't bow to other images. And so they didn't do it. And so some of the other people in government who was jealous of them because they had had, uh, attained high rank in government, they went to Nebuchadnezzar and said, you appointed these three guys in your government and they're not bowing down to your image. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar uh, got all bent out of joint over it, got into a rage, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the music, if you'll fall down and worship, good. But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God who will deliver you from my hands? So man, he brings them in, and he just gives the ultimatum. You either do it, or you're going to die. We're going to put you into that fiery furnace. And so, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, if you're going to throw us in a fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But look at the next three words. But if not, that's the if I want you to see today. That if speaks to faith. Faith. First of all, They had confidence in God. They said, our God is able to deliver. That's just true. No matter what we face, folks, our God is able to deliver. But there is another truth there, and that is God doesn't always deliver. And these boys understood that. And so they said, but if not, But if not, you see, their faith was in God no matter what happens. And it is just a fact. And you can put it on your paper. God doesn't always deliver from tragedy or death. And when He doesn't, He has a reason. And if we as children of God really believe that all things are working together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to His purpose, then our faith ought to be just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sooner or later, every one of us is going to face heartache. We're going to face tragedy. We're going to go through valleys. And we know that God could deliver us if He wanted to. But he may not want to. That may not be his will for our life. And so when he doesn't deliver us, he has a reason. And how we respond to our tragedies will tell us a great deal about our faith. We believe Jesus. And Jesus said it like this. In this world, you will have trouble. Not maybe. Sooner or later, 
Life is full of tragedy. Nobody is exempt. Jesus doesn't promise deliverance. I don't care what some Pentecostals believe. Jesus doesn't promise deliverance. But He does promise something better. And we see it here in the life of these three boys. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated, commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Wow. You see, God doesn't promise deliverance from the fire. He promises something better. He promises to walk through the fire with us. doesn't matter what your fire is. It doesn't matter what your heartache is. It doesn't matter what your pain is. If you're a child of God, Jesus Christ will walk with you through that fire and through that flame. He will hold your hand and He will take you through. That's better than being delivered. I remember when when we lost our daughter. It was the lowest day of my life. Twenty years old, beautiful, preparing her life for ministry, and just killed just like that in an accident. And the pain was just beyond understanding. Not just for me, but for my whole family for Sharon and for my two boys, both of those boys here today. And she loved her brothers. She loved her little brothers. She took care of her little brothers. They loved her. And their loss and their pain was just as bad as mine. But you know what we discovered? Jesus walks with us through the pain. If you have the faith and you know that Jesus is there, He is true to His promise. In this world you will have trouble, He said, but be of good courage. I've overcome the world and I'll walk with you through your troubles. America today is filled with Christians who walked away from God because of some tragedy. 
Something happened in their life, and they felt like God should have delivered them. And they felt like God wasn't fair. And they felt like God had done them wrong. And they're angry, and they're bitter, and they have this attitude, I didn't deserve this. God did me wrong. And the truth is, they are walking through life bitter and angry, and they are missing the blessing of discovering that Jesus would walk with them through the fire. How sad, how tragic. This whole idea of, I didn't deserve this. Listen. If you're going through a fire somewhere, understand this. God's not doing this to you. God's doing this for you. That's a concept that Christians have a hard time with. God's doing it for you, to grow you, to strengthen you, to make you better, to make you stronger, to make you more of a child of God. So let's have the faith of Shadrach. We know God's able, but He just might not. But if not. The second if speaks to our mission. And it is found in the book of Esther. If you'll turn over to the book of Esther with me. Now the book of Esther is before the book of Daniel in the Bible. But what happened in the book of Esther happened after what happened in the book of Daniel in the Bible. It's actually about a hundred years later than the time of Shadrach. Uh, the Jewish captivity is over by the time of uh, Esther. And uh, many of the Jews were free to go back to their homeland. But hundreds of thousands of them had built their homes there and been there, their families over a hundred years, they just stayed. And uh, one of the families that stayed was a man by the name of Mordecai, who had become uh, a high official in the government. And uh, uh, he had a, a, a much younger cousin named Esther, whose mother and father had died, and he adopted her to be his own daughter. And so that's the scenario that we have with this Persian king uh, by the name of Ahasuerus Xerxes. And you got to remember, back in those days, those kings were ruthless. And so he was married to this beautiful woman by the name of Vashti. So he's having this big banquet, this big party that he's throwing for all the big wigs, and and uh, he decides that he wants to show his wife off to everybody. So he sends a message for Vashti to dress herself up, get herself all prettied up, and get herself down here to the banquet. And she just got all bent out of joint over it and just said, you know, who does he think he is? I'm not going. And she didn't go. And brother, it cost her. I mean, he just deposed her. He just put her away. She was done. That's the way they operated in those days. And so his advisors came and said, well, you've got to have a queen. And so here's what we'll do. Let's, uh, let's gather all the beautiful uh, young maidens in the country, and, and we'll bring them in, and, and, and we'll work on them and teach them how to be queens and all that. And then a year from now, we're going to parade them before you, and you pick out whichever one you want. And Ozerxes said, I like that idea. And so the time came, and lo and behold, Esther happened to be one of those 
this little Jewish girl, probably 16, 17 years old at that time, happened to be one of those. And when he saw her, he just fell in love with her. And she became his queen. And that is the scenario of what we have here when we get to the fourth chapter. We have a situation where the prime minister, a man by the name of Haman, is one of those guys that's just so lifted up in himself. And when he would get out and ride his horse through uh, the, the city, everybody had to bow down to him. We remember, kind of remember that story already from Shadrach and Meshach. But uh, the Mordecai, who was a good Jewish man who loved God, he didn't bow to anybody. And so he didn't bow to Haman. And Haman was angry and furious about it, and he devised a plan to get rid of Mordecai and in the process get rid of all the Jews. And he came up with this big idea, presented it to the king. King, not knowing any better, just signed the proclamation. And so 11 months from now, all the Jews are going to die and all the Persians can get their stuff. Well, Mordecai hears about it. And he he gets in touch with uh, Esther and he says, Esther, there's this decree that 11 months from now, all the Jews are going to be killed. You've got to go to the king and get this fixed. And so Esther sends a message back and said, hey, there's a law of the Medes and the Persians that you can't go before the king. You have to be called before the king. If you go before the king without being called, one of two things will happen. He will either accept you and raise the golden scepter, and then you can come in. And if he doesn't raise the golden scepter, they take you out and kill you. I can't do that. And so Mordecai sends a message back to Esther. And it's in chapter 4 in verse 13. It says, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. This next sentence is so awesome. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He said, Esther, who knows, but everything that's happened to you, God raised you up for this moment in history. So Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. Fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And here's the if. And if I perish, I perish. Wow. Here's the message. Just as the Jews were condemned to die in the days of Esther... Mankind is condemned to die today. There's no difference. And just as Esther was their only hope 
back then, we are lost people's only hope. I am telling you, the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. We are the hope of the world. We are the ones that God has commissioned and given us this commission to give the gospel. That's the one thing that we have that will save humanity, the gospel. And our mission is to give the gospel to the unsaved world regardless of the cost. We're not even to take into account what it costs us. We are just to do it. The the precedent that was set here for us is, I'm going to do what I can. I'm in the kingdom for such a time as this, and I will pay any price to get the gospel to lost people. A couple of weeks ago, Vernon Brewer, three weeks ago, I guess it was, and Vernon Brewer was here, challenged our church about North Korea and how people are going into North Korea risking their lives. And those, and those uh, hidden pastors, when they're caught, they're thrown into prison. Some of them killed immediately. And the greatest need in North Korea is Bibles. Bibles printed in their language. And we committed at this church to send 10,000 Bibles at $10 a Bible. And that's $100,000. Hey, listen, folks. We're not called on to die. We ought to have the attitude, I'm going to do it if it kills me. But sometimes we have the attitude, I'm going to do it if it kills me, but I'm not going to do it if it costs me. And there's a big difference, isn't there? What a challenge. I pray that every person in this building will accept that challenge that Paul put before us to raise that $100,000 before summer is out. Time is short. We're to redeem the time and get those Bibles over there as quickly as we can. The, the Scripture says that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's nothing more powerful than we can do for those people right now than send them the Word of God so that it can speak to their heart and then they can go and speak to others and reach Koreans for Christ. And even as we see the possibility of that nation opening up a little bit, and maybe God is preparing something awesome for the Korean people in that dark, dark country. God help us to just have the attitude and, and ask the question, what cost are we willing to pay to save lost and condemned people? God help us to have that kind of a heart. And the third if I want you to see is found in Romans chapter 10. Turn over with me to the New Testament. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. That if, if, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes under righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. 
I want you to get the sequence here. In verse 10 is the proper sequence. It says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. It is something that takes place within you. It is something that is within your heart. You hear the gospel. You understand your need of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it takes place in the heart. And then once it takes place in the heart, confession of that salvation is made. Back when I got saved, really an interesting thing happened. I was 16 years old. Right in the middle of the pastor's sermon on Sunday night, I finally got it. I understood the salvation was a gift, that, it was, that I would be saved for all of eternity. And I'd never heard anything like that before. And so right then and there, I mean, just while he was preaching, I just said, Lord, if that's true, I just commit my life to you right now. Well, when the sermon was over, the pastor asked people to come forward, and so I come forward. I come forward, and I tell the pastor, I receive Jesus Christ. And he said, okay, go with this man. And this man was a guy named Butler, Brother Butler. And Brother Butler takes me by the hand, and he leads me over here to the altar, and he kneels down and gets me to kneel down at the altar, and he opens up this very Scripture and starts reading it to me. And he said, now you need to bow your head and ask God to save you. I said, I've done that. He said, no, I mean, that's what you've got to do. I said, I already did it. Well, he wasn't having it. Because here's the way we did it back in those days. You go and tell the preacher you want to be saved, and he gets somebody to take you to the altar and show you the Bible and then ask you to pray to be saved. That's the way we did it. That's the way they, and that's the way we, he was having it. And I told him, I said, I, I did that in my seat. He said, see this right here? This is what you're going to do right here. Okay. That was my attitude. Okay, I'll do it again. And I did, I did it again, you know. Made Brother Butler so happy. But here's the thing. I got saved back there sitting in my pew. But after I got saved from that moment on, I couldn't shut up about it. And that's what it means. And then with your mouth, you make confession unto salvation. Man, I told everybody. My family is so wicked, so ungodly. Every third word's a cuss word in our family. We drank like fish. We got together on Saturday night, played music, drank, fought, did everything wicked families did. And I knew that my family had a big music get-together coming up on Saturday night. Man, I went to it on Saturday night. I brand-new, fresh Christian. I had me a whole room full of unsaved people. And they started playing their music. And finally, you know, they got a little break. And I said, hey, everybody, I got something to say. All right. So I started sharing my testimony. Started telling people what happened to me. I shared the gospel with them. And about Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. And, and how I had committed my life to Him. And that it was a free gift. And everybody in this room can do it right now. If you just believe in your heart. And I actually thought that everybody in my family was going to get saved that day. Well, I was in for a rude awakening. 
After hearing me out, my uncle says, Ah, blankety-blank, Rick's got religion. Okay, guys, let's play so-and-so. And they went right back to their music. It broke my heart. But it didn't shut me up. Because when you get salvation, it, it happens right in here. But I'm going to tell you what. If it happens right in here, you can't help but come out right here. When somebody tells me I got saved and then I never told anybody, <laughs> I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Something that awesome happens to you, you can't shut up about it. That's all there is to it. What are we saved from? Everlasting punishment. Outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Separated from God forever in a horrible place called hell, a lake of fire. That's what salvation is from. But it is to life with God. Joy and peace and no more pain. No more sorrow. Those things will pass away. And we'll live forever with God on His brand new earth. If you're here today and you've never been saved, there's a big if in your life. It's the power of if. If today you would receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, all you got to do is just speak to Him from your heart. So let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. But if you happen to be someone that was like me, you'd never been saved, but you know the Bible's true, and you know that you need Jesus Christ more than anything, because this life is so short. The only opportunity you're guaranteed is the opportunity today. And it really doesn't matter what words you say. I just said, Lord, if that's true, I just commit my life to you. Some people say, Lord, please save me. Other people say, Lord, I, I, I want you to be my Savior. It doesn't matter how you say it. What happens is Jesus sees your heart. And he sees that you're committing your life to him. And if you would do that right now, just while I give this closing prayer, if you would do that right now, I promise you that God will save your soul. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share your word today. I pray that you will help us as Christians to truly have the attitude. But if not, that we're going to trust you, our faith is going to be strong. Help us to have the attitude, if I perish, I perish. And to get this gospel out around the world. And for those that have never been saved, I pray that they will reach out to you right now from their heart and trust you as Savior. Amen.
If you happen to have made that commitment to Jesus Christ this morning, your first opportunity to go tell somebody is right after this service. You can walk out there and meet Danny, our uh, outreach pastor. He always meets with people back uh, at the information booth. Share with him and let it come right out of your mouth that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior today. God bless you.